Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics commentary podcast. My name is Adam. My name is Jeremy. We're here today to discuss X-Men number 34, the July 1967 issue. Bum, bum, bum. War in a world of darkness, says the cover. Darkness falls and she will take me by the hand, take me to some twilight land, where all the love is gray, where I can't find my way without her as my guide. Night falls, I'm cast beneath her spell, daylight comes, our heaven. There is a giant metal man uh, coming up over the horizon who has a sword, and there's a blonde-haired guy with a cape and no shirt and kind of like a WWF uh, fighter's belt (laughs) and a tunic who appears to be, I'm not sure, maybe directing the action against the X-Men. Or just pointing at them. (laughs) Yeah, laughing because the giant robot is attacking the X-Men and not him. And it's hilarious. Look at that giant robot. In my world, giant robots are funny. (laughs) You shouldn't fight him. Take a seat. He tells jokes. (laughs) And so that's about all that's going on here. And I can only assume that this must be the final menace of Factor 3. Oh, but if you recall, last issue, they said they were taking a diversion from the Factor 3 storyline. So... Sorry, Jeremy. This has got to be the most horriblest drawn-out saga ever. (laughs) Nothing is happening to forward the Factor 3 story. I'm going to assume that this is not a throwaway story, but something very important towards the entire uh, uh, aspect. Very well. That on the cover, the title is, in fact, War in a World of Darkness. And the font appears to be like one of those uh, wartime fonts. Oh, yeah, yeah. From, I don't know, one of those issues of Nick Fury agent of awesome or something yes yes that's exactly what it was agent of awesome if they ever relaunch nick fury uh, in his own comic book they should they should rename shield to uh awesome yeah i've always thought that uh so stan lee is proudly presenting this uh and it is there's a lot of verbiage here but roy thomas is back and i guess this is drawn by a new guy dan adkins yeah and lettered by jay feldman who are these people Good question. Maybe this Where's is the anchor. I don't know, man, but we're, we're, maybe this is why they're taking a diversion is because their creative staff has moved on to other projects. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Poor Roy has left their hold in the bag like, oh, guys, trying to tell a story here. Factor three. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> All right. Well. I don't know about you, but I felt this issue did not seem like it was written by Roy Thomas. <laughs> but we can get into that later. Professor X, we've been reminded, has been captured, and Cerebro has been broken, so Beast is once again donning, donning the tools and trying to fix it, this time with a blowtorch. He's blowtorching a small portion of what looks like a very advanced version of Cerebro. And it is revealed here that whoever captured the Professor must have also destroyed this, this remade Cerebro, so that, as Cyclops pontificates, that they must be mutants, and their knowledge of Cerebro proves it, basically, and that's why they destroyed it. 
That could be true, or perhaps they could just be like, let's destroy things. Could be. But it, it does allow our deputy leader to to show some leadership skills here. Yeah. yeah. Some deduction. Yeah. And uh, he also goes on to uh, deduce that they are bent on world conquest. Well, what factor group isn't? Just saying. Maybe... Maybe they just want some guy who can do mind wipes, you know? They got a lot of debts to pay, so they're going to the bill collectors being like, mind wipe, mind wipe, mind wipe. Okay, thanks, professor. Here's some cab money. Get home. Safe. Where in this storyline have they really learned a lot about Factor 3 so far? Uh, Well... There was the Banshee storyline? Yeah. I, did they learn anything? I guess they... I mean, uh, Banshee was taken control of by Factor 3, and Ogre was also there. Uh, so... They became friends with Banshee at the end, right? So Banshee probably told them everything he knows. I guess we could deduce that. I mean, they pretty much just gave him a plane ticket back to Scotland. But yeah, I mean, I guess you could deduce that they uh, talked maybe in the airport lobby. Like, hey, man, before you get on that plane, we're about factor three. <laughs> and he was like, oi, they're <laughs> after world conquest. Hi, Tatai, world conquest. And me lucky charms. <laughs> Uh, I guess that's pretty much it. What uh, it's been like six or seven issues. It feels like that this whole factor three has been dragging out, but I think that's it. Yeah, the Juggernaut two-parter where they did a a long con or a short con, right? Where they misled the X Men into believing Juggernaut was the source of contention, and it turned out they were after Professor X. There was the Super Adaptoid issue that really had nothing to do with Factor Three. And there, yep. there was the Warlock episode or issue, which also had nothing to do with Factor Three. Uh, a lot of, a lot of issues that have nothing to do with Factor Three. Yet we're still trying to build this story arc. It's very exciting. I'm telling you, I'm on my uh, pins and needles. Are you? Yes. <laughs> All right. So let's move back into the book. Uh, they're, they're fixing the, they're fixing Cerebro. And here's the first sign that it just doesn't seem like. Roy Thomas, because everybody speak kind of like Beast. No, uh, we'll get into this a little bit more later, I think, but nobody speaks as obnoxiously as the Beast in this particular issue. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there there are, everybody's really talkative. Uh, Beast says he's done now that he, or he's done with the, uh, the manual labor, and now they need to start doing some complicated wiring. Cyclops tells uh, Angel, Iceman, and Marvel Girl that they're not needed. To which Angel takes a little bit of uh, uh, offense towards. Cyclops responds, use your head, man. Yes. I just don't want all five of us bleary-eyed if Factor 3 decides to strike again. And that's a good command decision. Yeah. You know? and But later on, he starts feeling bad about it. He's like, oh, I shouldn't have yelled at Angel like that. Well, first we get this really odd panel of Marvel Girl where she's just <laughs> kind of standing there. Uh, now, you and Bobby, referring to the angel, have a bite to eat and get some rest before I take you over my knee telekinetically. <laughs> and somebody says, you talked us into it, Genie, and how? So I'm not sure if they're like, I'm not eating anything. <laughs> Spank me. That's what it seems like. And then Marvel. Either that or they're just afraid of Gene. I'm not sure. Uh, I think there's a lot of kinkiness that we don't see, or that goes on b- between the panels here that we don't get to see. Yeah. Uh, and so Marvel Girl says that she is going to get back to college. So good. We can continue on with that storyline, I guess. And that's when uh, Cyclops talks about how he shouldn't have yelled at Angel like that. Yep, he apologizes directly to him. and um... that's, a, that's a sign of weakness. <laughs> I think Cyclops made a good call when he said, Think about it, man. 
Go get some sleep. All of us can't be tired. That's 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 gumption. That's mm, that's good commandship of uh, of his team. But he also wants to be their buddy. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cops can't decide. Does he want to be their leader or their friend? Yeah, he can't be their friend when you're their boss. You can try, but you know, eventually it's not going to work out because at some point you're going to have to lay down the law and they're not going to like it. At any rate, Angel says, forget it, pal. I was out of line. And so, Jean Grey thinks to herself, Scott's so thoughtful, so selfless. Maybe that's why I love him so. Yeah, because it's not his award-winning personality or <laughs> uh, their kindred spiritship that they share or anything else. So she's got to come up with something. Yeah. It's rough. So Angel says, all right, fine. You know, I'll, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go take a nap. Let me know when you're ready to go to sleep and then I'll, uh, I'll keep lookout. This panel of Cyclops and Marvel and Angel makes me wonder if their outfits are blue or black. There was a letters, uh, there was a letter a while back that asked that same question, and I believe it looks like Marvel Girl's pants are black the way that it's lit, but everybody else looks blue. Yeah, that's. I guess it doesn't really matter. But that, that's the trick with with comics coloring, isn't it? Or the palettes that they use is somehow you have to accent everything. So everybody has blue black hair and blue outfits have black highlights. But anyways, it's it's blue and yellow. Oh. Well, you heard it here. <laughs> I, I'm making it official. At least that's what they said in the letters section. Oh, okay. So Jean Grey returns to college where her roommate lets her know that Ted Roberts has been calling her off the hook. Wait a minute. She has a roommate? Apparently. We didn't know her this. Her name is Carol. Well, I'm guessing it's her roommate. It could also just be, well, no, it's in. it's her room, so... Unless somebody's, like, robbing her room. She says, hello, Carol, just getting in from a late date. Why, yes, Ted Roberts. I mean, it's not that, uh, it's, Carol's certainly not the babysitter, because there's no baby to sit on. So it must be, it must be a roommate. So there you go, folks. Uh, Maybe people use uh, Jean's apartment as a, a date, period. Yeah, Jean's like, I didn't, see a, I didn't see a tie hanging on the handle, so I figured it was safe to come in. <laughs> yep, Ted's been calling her. It's apparently very urgent, uh, and then... This must be some 60s uh, verbiage that I don't quite understand. She's like, oh, it's a toll call, so I'll use the payphone. I don't need. I don't know that that exposition needed to exist there. <laughs> she could have just made the phone call, but whatever. It must be important to the 60s. Yeah. Oh, it's a toll call. The most important. So she gives Ted a call, and uh, she reminds us that Ted Roberts possibly knows the identity of Jean as Marvel Girl, as well as... Uh, Scott Summers is Cyclops. She doesn't say that, but it's it's implied. Well, she's thinking it. She says, I know, or she thinks, I know Ted suspects I'm Marvel Girl. Right. And then, of course, Cyclops was with her the last time. So she calls Ted. Ted answers the phone. He's got a bandage around his head. Either that or it's a headband, and he's been running <laughs> around the gym a couple of times. We don't know yet. Uh, but he says, hey, I need you to get in charge, or I need you to get a hold of the X-Men. And Marvel Girl says, what? What? How do you think I can reach the X-Men? And he's just like, Gene, come on. Seriously. I don't have time for this. Ralph's been captured. Look, I met Marvel Girl. She's got your hair, and she sounds a lot like you, and she's got the same eye color. And uh, and so he hangs up on her. Yeah. Click. And that's the end of the <laughs> issue. It's really weird. Oh, wait. No. She says, uh, he says, I need you. I don't have time to explain. Just get down here. Just get them here. And so Marvel Girl calls... Who's sleeping here? Is it Angel? I think it's Angel. I think it's Angel, yeah. yeah so she calls Angel, and uh, 
He's sleeping. He gets up. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Goes and gets Iceman. And apparently they get on their new jet. Which has helicopter blades. Uh, no, it's not helicopter blades, Adam. It's an auto gyro hovering device. Yes, they look like helicopter blades. And uh, they go to pick up uh, Marvel Girl. And the only reason that the auto gyro hovering device is in play here is because they needed to do some sort of vertical uh, pickup of Marvel Girl, which... Whatever. Yeah, they could have just cut to her being on the plane. I would have forgiven them. I know. It, it's really as if, you know, the, uh, whoever's writing this, maybe it's Roy Thomas, maybe it's somebody else, we don't know. But it's just like, I need I need a vehicle. Let's just invent a new vehicle. I mean, if we were to go through all of the issues, I wonder how big that garage would be filled with uh, all the various things that they have. Of course, they do keep smashing them, so maybe it's not that big. It makes me wonder if, if in fact, the writer... Uh, the artist is more of the writer than the writer, and oh. the writer is just kind of dealing with all of these panels of various things, and he's unfamiliar with this new artist, and so maybe that's why it's a little more could be wordy and explanatory than usual. So Roy Thomas writes out a plot, an outline, gives it to the artist. The artist is like, I, I've never drawn the X-Men before, so here goes. <laughs> And then Roy comes back and is like, what? A helicopter? Oh, for God's sakes. A helicopter airplane? Really, Dan? How many vehicles am I going to have to write a, write a plot synopsis for? Oh, all right, fine. I can't wait till the official handbook to the Marvel Universe comes out, because this is going to be another one that needs to go in it. Uh, they pick up Marvel Girl, and they fly to Roberts Research Incorporated, which is on the Long Island Sound. Indeed, and it seems like just yesterday that Ralph Roberts had amnesia and attacked us as the Cobalt Man. Uh-huh. Actually, it was several weeks ago in X-Men 31, notes Stickler Stan. So they go inside to investigate, and uh, Ted Roberts is there waiting for them. What was the final outcome to the Cobalt Man? They just kind of like beat him up, and he's like, oh, what happened? He did not die of radiation poisoning. He snapped out of it. Okay. And determined that the Cobalt Man was a bad idea and that only Iron Man should be able to wear an armored suit of such power. craziness. Okay. All right. All right. It just seems like he would have to go undergo some psychiatric evaluation and, and maybe have some long-term psychological effects that would perhaps keep him uh, at a leave of absence from Robert's... Robert's. Well, perhaps, perhaps he's seeing a therapist on the side and, uh, you know, it's been a few weeks, so maybe he took the, a few weeks off. All right, all right, that's that's another one of those between the panels things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. All right. Now he's going to have to go see another uh, a therapist about another condition because he's apparently been kidnapped by somebody named Tyrannus. Oh, Darth Tyrannus? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he was captured by a Sith. Yeah, that's that's dangerous. I know you don't want to be caught with those guys. He's the one with the crooked lightsaber, right? I don't know. He's the old guy. He's Jim Lee. No, he's Brandon Lee. He's he's the old guy Lee. Christopher Lee. Thank you. He's Christopher Lee. Did he have a bent sword? Yeah, I remember he had a, a crooked lightsaber. It's like curved. Oh, well, I must have blocked that out of my memory. Useless trivia. <laughs> All right, so uh, Ted Roberts also says that Ralph is gone. He's been taken prisoner to the center of the earth by Tyrannus, as we learn in the next panel. Angel recognizes the name of Tyrannus for some reason. And um, 
He's the ruler of the world beneath the earth. We've heard rumors of a guy by that name. The ruler of a world beneath the earth. What? The, what? What? I guess that's more b- between the panels information, or maybe more evidence that Roy Thomas is just like, Ugh, how am I going to make this whole story work? So anyways, yeah, they, that, there's that needless exposition is also granted there. Marvel Girl thinks to herself, we agreed I wouldn't speak much to protect my identity, yet Ted's so unnerved he hardly notices me. She's very caught up with herself, isn't she? <laughs> she will continue to note this. Yeah, yeah, she won't let us forget it. So Ted uh, says, let me tell you what happened. And uh, he, he, he launches into his story. Ted tells the story about Ralph uh, creating some sort of super cobalt alloy that a laser beam has no effect on. It's stronger than steel, and the melting point is twice of that of normal cobalt. Amazing. Cobalt, I think, is like the... It must be a recent discovery or something. It's the equivalent of today's made-up adamantium. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, it's the wonder metal that 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 is stronger than anything else. Uh, as Ted keeps saying, then what they said on TV is true. With a ship built of that stuff, you could travel to the Earth's core. I guess that means they must have done like a like a sixty minutes expose on the cobalt Earth drilling machine, uh, because in the next panel, the minions of Tyrannus are coming from the core of the earth to capture apparently apparently they have tv too and they saw the same 60 minutes expose exactly yep and, and so they come to kidnap uh ralph roberts i know that they want ralph roberts for his uh cobalt expertise but are they coming up out of the core of the earth because they don't want these humans coming down to the core of the earth I mean, they're they're mad at something, so they they come up to through the uh, university's floor, and uh, we get uh, another one of those uh, uh, talk about but don't show type things where Ted and Ralph are like, "Oh, what was that? Shooting! The guards are going to get them! Oh, the guards are down! They're in the they're coming! They're oh, they're at the door now! It'll only be a few more seconds." They must be watching it on some sort of TV. Yeah, and that all happens in one panel. Before Ralph Roberts can finish his sentence, a laser blast blows the door down. Thwack! Thwack it goes, and it's not a very secure-looking door. It's basically like an office door with like a big glass uh, window in it. So, I mean, I don't know. If only the door will hold out for a few seconds, says Ralph. That door's not going to hold down. And I don't think you needed a laser to knock it out. What are they going to do for the few seconds that the door holds on? I have no idea. We're going to finish the, I don't know, hold me, Ted. Okay, Ralph. (laughs) I just wanted to tell you I love you. You're my brother. I know. We could have been so much more. Ted? (laughs) Ralph. But that's okay. Tyrannus breaks in and says, the guards are finished and there's only, and there's the one we seek. They grab Ralph. They knock out Ted. Fool, you are no, no value to me. Tis the other who shall conquer a world for Tyrannus. So there's Tyrannus's goal is world domination. Tyrannus or Tyrannus? Tyrannus, I don't know. I'm going with Tyrannus. Yeah, you, you could be right. But uh, so these um, indiscreet minions who are orange with no hair and they all look the same and they wear white skirts help Tyrannus capture 
uh, Ralph Roberts, and they they escaped to the Earth's core, I guess. And he, uh, Tyrannus says, I need, I have precious need of your discovery, for I will defeat my arch foe, the Mole Man. Yeah, this sounds like uh, some sort of battle that's been happening a while, and we're just kind of being caught in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. It's luckily the X-Men know the Roberts kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so Ted says that's all he can remember, which that's quite a bit of detail. It'll give the X-Men something to work on, that's for sure. And he takes them off to an atomic-powered Earth borer. Well, before that, though, Angel says uh, only someone who was more than a human could survive at the Earth's core. You didn't have a chance. We mutants just might, though, if only we had a way of getting there. What makes the Angel any more special to withstand the pressures of the Earth's core than Ted Roberts? Well, he's just, you know, Warren's all for mutant superiority. He's just... (laughs) Propping Magneto's cause. Okay. In lieu of a Magneto, there is Angel. Yeah, I mean, who's the one who always turns first? Warren. I suppose, I suppose, I suppose. Okay, so then uh, Ted leads him towards the uh, Cobalt car or whatever it is. Fitted with plates of Ralph's new Super Cobalt. He shows them where Tyrannus came up through the tunnel, and they decide with the Earth Borer they can go back down and follow the tunnel. And uh, we, it's pointed out that there are only seats for three, so Ted will not be able to go. Yeah, that's that's good. We don't need him going along, but he's he he resists. Me stay here, nothing doing. I and then Warren says, "Look, human, <laughs> the only way." <laughs> he says, "Bow to the superiority of Angel." <laughs> what? A corpse won't do your brother any good. So Ted agrees to stay on the surface. So it's at this point where I'm like, all right, this, this is kind of a throwaway issue, but maybe it'll be kind of like the first uh, X-Men story that doesn't involve all five X-Men. It'll be just a little story involving the kind of lesser you, not the lesser used, but you know what I'm saying, uh, Iceman, Angel, and Marvel Girl, and we won't deal with the Beast and Cyclops. Yeah, kind of neat. Because it's all set up. I mean, this Earth Borg can only fit three three people. Uh, Cyclops and Beast are back at uh, the mansion fixing up Cerebro and maybe taking a nap or something. Who knows? So it seemed like a good idea at this point. We're also told that uh, because Warren Worthington has some automobile know-how, he is able to figure out how to drive the Cobalt Borer. This go buzzy isn't exactly my Mustang, but I think I'll get the hang of it fast. I'll keep you advised on depth reading, Scott. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. There's that. So Marvel Girl refers to Angel as Scott, so we don't know if that's a Freudian slip, and she's maybe she is interested in the Angel, but I don't know. Or because Angel's taking the lead. But apparently all it takes to drive the Cobalt Borer is the a driver's license. <laughs> Which is why Marvel Girl and Bobby can't drive it. Angel drives the thing into the edge. Everyone says, no. Or Iceman says, Scotty, the borer's going over the edge too fast. (laughs) And nobody here at any point says, uh, guys, Scott's not here. (laughs) My name is Angel. They're, They're so obsessed with the leader being Scott that when Angel takes the lead, they just kind of uh, just call him Scott. Yeah. Angel's used to it. Yeah, he's like, whatever. Let's just get this <laughs> over with. 
So uh, the explanation for this is that the tires have suction-tipped treads, and that will hold them to the side of the tunnel walls. Angel clearly read the spec manual. Yes. I can drive a car and read a manual. And uh, at this point, uh, somebody comes to their senses. I'm going to guess it's Iceman because he says, You did it, Worry. <laughs> Those nutty treads are holding. And I just remembered your name. <laughs> Marvel Girl sitting in the back like, Ugh, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's a, a, a big, I guess, I guess uh, drill bit on the front of this thing that's digging through the Earth's crust. And... It's a frontal laser. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is a frontal laser, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that's eating away at the earth below them, but apparently the vehicle leveled off. They hit a stalagmite. What, the, what we didn't reveal earlier, or what we didn't say earlier, is that, well, we did. This is the hole that Tyrannus used, but as they were leaving, they kind of filled it in. So they're just kind of redigging a hole that was already dug, so they're kind of following an existing path. Right. And so that's why he says we leveled out, so that's how they also know where they're going. Because i got to imagine if you're just boring into the earth's crust, I mean, you could end up anywhere. Probably under a lot of dirt, though. They have a scope. Okay. That reveals the path, I guess. That's what Marvel Girl's been monitoring is the, the scope. So uh, they can't get through this mighty stalagmite. And the earth borer halts. However, it's only slightly damaged, they note. But they decide since they've reached a huge cavern that they're going to start walking. Yeah. Uh, and apparently it's a land of perpetual twilight, yet bathed in an eerie emerald glow. It's like another world. So it's kind of like uh, the Savage Land, but but not. Yeah, it's it's the it's, it's underground Savage Land, I guess. <laughs> well, the Savage Land is underground. Yes, yeah, so they're both underground, but this is different. Mm-hmm. This doesn't, doesn't have woolly mammoths or a underground sun like the Savage Land does. And the ground's all green. Yes. Uh, Iceman makes an Alice in, the, uh, Alice in Wonderland uh, comparison, and uh, then we move on. Uh, somebody says, you are on the... Who's, oh, somebody says, you are on the outer edge of the mantle, fools, a layer composed of magnesium and silicates. That might be important for later. I hope its decor pleases you, but you shall never leave here alive. And they want to know who it is, and Angel assumes that it must be Tyrannus. But no, you dare call me by that accursed name? For that you shall perish slowly after you cry out for mercy. Zit! Roy Thomas's favorite sound effect, I would guess. <laughs> Always with an explanation point. The Mole Man is firing... Well, I guess they, the, the X-Men don't realize it's the Mole Man, but I do. So the Mole Man is firing a gun at them. Uh, Marvel Girl uses some of her telekinesis to lift Iceman out of the way, and Angel attacks the Mole Man. The Mole Man says, Come here, my my minions. You know, I've just... The Mole Man is just one of those villains to me where I'm just like, Ugh, really? <laughs> Why does this guy exist? I mean, I guess... what's was he in he's the first Fantastic Four villain? He was in issue one, right? I mean, he was the guy that yeah. brought up the that blobby thing that's on the cover of Fantastic Four number one. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess he's got some historical significance, but he seems like such a, I don't, such a, such an old villain, I guess. That he is. He's it's, he's the first villain proper. I'm Mole Man, <laughs> who calls themselves like. Mole. Yes. 
<laughs> Get them, my minions. So, so they're minions. Uh, these are these are yellow, hairless, muscular guys with white underwear. They're not wearing tunics. They're wearing undies. Exactly. So they, uh, Angel handily takes out a couple of them. Marvel Girl flips one over, and Iceman freezes one, and it actually looks like Iceman's freezing trick works for a chance. Yeah, these are pretty normal guys. They're not super heroic in any way, or, or yeah. super, uh, they don't have any super strength. They seem pretty regular. Uh, the so m- the Iceman handily take care of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just nice for once to see uh, the only trick up Iceman's sleeve actually work. Maybe somebody will get uh, killed with another ice javelin. And here, Marvel Girl starts saying, Angel Iceman, the Mole Man's escaping. So where did they figure out that it was the Mole Man? Adam, all will be revealed in a few pages. Okay. (laughs) Just before, before they seemed to not know who the Mole Man was, and now they seem to know who the Mole Man is. Uh when we get to the page, I'll let you know why. But now that they've had a chance to kind of catch their breath and observe their surroundings, they reached into the recesses of their memories and they pulled out the fact that this is the Mole Man. Where's that? I'm just, I'm, I made that up. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you when we get to it, how off she knows. Off gotcha. Yes. Well, so yes, Mole Man goes running off. The X-Men, the three X-Men go and chase after him. And they end up coming into um, some misty river area, and they start breathing in some uh, mists, fumes, and Mole Man starts taunting them that they are breathing in the magic mists of the river Leth. L-E-T-H-E. I'm going with Leith. Yeah. Or or Lethe. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, but yeah, it's in this same panel that uh, Angel, Iceman, and Marvel Girl start, I don't remember who I am or who you are. I just feel like I just came into existence. So... Yeah. The magical mists of the River Leith apparently makes you forget everything. Shame that. Yep. So they're lost underground, and we will never see them again. So we flip <laughs> we flip stories over to uh, Ralph Roberts, who is using an underground space-looking uh, blowtorch to finish a very gladiator-esque robot under the direction of Tyrannus. This robot is created by Tyrannus to combat a solid diamond robot that the Mole Man has created. And he has coated the this new robot with a super cobalt alloy. Apparently he's been collecting cobalt. Yes, and Ralph Roberts knows how to manipulate that cobalt, so he's helping uh, put the cobalt panels on this giant robot. And uh, they activate it, and the robot starts moving, and Ralph Ralph is basically doing this because he has no choice to obey or die. So apparently he has no selflessness about him. Uh, he would rather live, to, he would rather save himself and subject all of humanity to a giant robot than sacrifice himself. In the very last thought bubble, he says, but he doesn't know one thing, dot, dot, dot. Maybe Ralph will uh, redeem himself. We shall see. Maybe. I hope so. 
So Tyrannus says, uh, apparently, wait, somewhere along the line, Ralph tried to take a swing at Tyrannus. I'm not really sure. He says, uh, now that I've done your, oh, Ralph says, now that I've done your dirty work, let me go. And Tyrannus says, no, (laughs) basically. And Ralph says, never, I'll die first. And then Tyrannus says, that will be arranged. But then something happens. It says, the next second, before an angry Ralph Roberts can leap forward, Tyrannus says, so you would dare lift a hand against your presence, Imperial? For that, you shall be sent to a dark, dank dungeon or something like that. So between panels, Ralph tried to take a swing at Tyrannus is all I can ascertain here. Yes, yes. Okay. Because it's not clear at all from these two panels. Yeah, you know, happens off panel, things like that. Yeah. It would have been nice if they had done it in such a way that he, you see the swing and then he could say the same, that in a, the very same panel. Yeah, yeah, that would have been nice. We could have seen a little bit of action instead of just talking about it once again. Right. Okay. But, you know, the artists, uh, again, the artists are drawing and the writer is making it up. I'm just going to pretend like in between panels he took a swing at him because, yeah, that that sounds like good dialogue. Well, if you analyze the two panels, the first panel is Ralph looking at Tyrannus and Tyrannus with his mouth wide open hovering his hands. So you got to write some dialogue there. The second panel is Tyrannus side view and Ralph side view, Tyrannus pointing off panel and Ralph just kind of looking at Tyrannus with the with the giant robot behind him. So, story-wise, it doesn't really seem to make any sense. It could have just been like, guards, take him away. Instead of like, oh, you tried to punch me? Whatever. <laughs> you tried to punch me? Guards, take him away. Yeah, instead of, I have no further use of him, put him in the dungeon. See? You could have said that. You could have saved a whole lot of dialogue. Made it less confusing. Yeah. All right, so we, we switch stories once again uh, to Beast and Cyclops. Aw, so it's not going to be just the three X-Men. It's going to be all five of them. I'm sorry, buddy, but at least they're spelunking. That's fun. They are spelunking. Beast points out that Warren jotted down his destination. So uh, much like I did not do as a kid, the angel was thoughtful enough to leave a note on the kitchen table as to their whereabouts. Yes, Hank. Memo pads are handy in more ways than one. Well, wait, what's the second way? <laughs> well, I mean, he could have left a message on his voicemail. Oh, uh, he could have left an email. Uh, wait, he could have faxed. I don't know, actually. He could have written a note on the chalkboard. He could have spelt it out with uh, macaronis on the on the kitchen table. Basically, Angel used a memo pad for the one function that it has, and Cyclops is saying that it's used for more than one way. Well, you can draw pictures on a memo yeah, pad. Well, I guess I don't understand what the primary function of a memo pad is. Because I thought that's what it was. Clearly, Cyclops does not either. He's got some other mind and he's got some other use in mind. I thought they were used for target practice. Uh, They are spelunking. Beast is lowering Cyclops down on a rope, which makes sense. But then Cyclops gets down and Beast is already down there too. So how did Beast get down? Did he just jump? Well, you know, it's, it's it's a cut scene. And why why did the other three X-Men use a car to get down there and these guys are just lowering themselves down on ropes? Because there's no second car. I would have... <laughs> thanks. I would have assumed that, that we're pretty far down here. Like what? Like a mile or so maybe? At least? Yeah. So they spelunked for a mile. 
it was rough. I guess. At any rate, they are they are following the treads of the vehicle. And uh, this is where B starts really talking a lot. Elementary, my dear Cyclops, since Ted has thoroughly described them to me, referring to the Earth Borer's tracks, I wonder where our comrades at arms were heading. Uh, they just might need a hand. And the bountifully endowed beast is prepared to lend them one, economy-sized. It's not at this point that I want to slap the beast, but it's at this point I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> Try to keep yourself composed. we got a mission here. Keep your eyes open. We've got to be ready for anything. That Mr. Summers is indeed the most superfluous of suggestions. Shut up. Superfluous. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought you referred to like third nipples as superfluous. Like, uh, that's unneeded, unnecessary. Oh, maybe that's what he's saying is like, oh, that's an unnecessary suggestion. Okay, so it makes sense. See, the beast is smart. Yeah, but that is an unnecessary comment to an unnecessary suggestion. Well, there's a lot of unnecessary things going on in this entire issue, Adam. <laughs> So we move to the next page where... Uh, I guess this issue is kind of unnecessary. Yeah. The whole <laughs> issue is superfluous. This issue is brought to you by the word unnecessary. So uh, the next page we get treated with a uh, picture of the diamond android, which is kind of cool looking. He looks like a 50s alien, but he's got a sword. So he's kind of yeah, like... he's really spacey. He's like a space ninja android, at least from this particular pose. Yeah, he's got some cool uh, radio goggles. I would say that he's got cool radio headset, but when you actually get to the when you get to see his face, I think his goggles are kind of dumb looking. They look like Mole Man's goggles, and the Mole Man has dumb looking goggles, hmm. in my opinion. Well, the Mole Man's got three D glasses. Yes, yes, as Marvel Girl pointed out earlier. I mean, they do very. They look very much like three D glasses, but with tiny little slits for the eyes. I'm sure in some Fantastic Four issue it's explained why he has uh, 3D glasses, but I don't really care. So You imagine too much, probably. <laughs> really? He just has them because he does. Yeah, because that's the design of the character. I could be wrong. Okay. Let us know, fans. What do you know about the Fantastic Four? And what do you know about Mole Man? The X-Men, uh, well, Marvel Girl, Iceman, and the Angel are here uh, observing the diamond android, and they are still amnesic. Yes, they are under the assumption that they are Mole Man's loyal servants, which I guess he must have told them that. Yeah, Angel says, like, ah, it seems like something's not right here. Hmm, not sure. Mole Man, Mole Man quickly quick... changes the subject. Yeah, he, he's a master of redirection there. Maybe that's what those goggles are for. Mm. <laughs> he, he moves his hand in a motion like, Look over here. <laughs> yeah, it's a sleight of hand trick. Nothing on my sleeve. You are my slaves, and you've always been my slaves. Now let's move on. Let's not talk about this ever again. Let's look at my cool little android. He does stuff. Swish. Yes, he does a slicing motion with his giant sword. What power on earth could stand up to that, says Iceman. So I want to just step out of the story here for a second. If, if Mole Man lives underneath the earth with Tyrannus, and they're battling each other, and they both have access to machinery, electronics, uh, some could say circuitry, microchips, uh, circuit boards, etc. Is there like a whole economy underneath the Earth's crust with like uh, under 
underground radio shacks and little <laughs> factories that are pumping out all of the, like these costumes and stuff? Or do they have to sneak up to the Earth's surface and steal this stuff and bring it back down underneath the ground so that they can make the stuff? Well, diamonds make sense. The diamond makes sense, but we're in Mole Man's showroom. I mean, there's there's lights on the ceiling. It's a, yeah. it's a big warehouse. It looks like it's about 40 feet tall. There's a metal ground. Uh, Mole Man's operating a giant computer with levers and stuff. Where's he getting all this stuff from? It's all made out of rock. And what do they eat? So, like, is there, like, a little uh, underground uh, uh, food store? They eat each other. (laughs) Maybe they breed those little bald guys, and then when they're done with them, they just cook them up and eat them. And the bald guys probably don't need to eat. Yeah, but that doesn't explain why or where he's getting all this electronics and this. I mean, all of these parts on the computer look fabricated as if they went through a milling process. Well, they're they're all for show. It's just it's all just carved rock. <laughs> okay, the mole man has been under the earth for many, 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 many decades, and and he's directly under a paint store, so he's able to like paint all the rock. Okay, all right. So steals all sorts of paints. <laughs> so mole man returns back to his computer, which seems to have grown exponentially in terms of controls, <laughs> meaning it has more, and. Uh, reaffirms to himself that the X-Men are still within his uh, grasp, I guess, power or whatever. Because the mole man watches TV or reads the news or something, he knows that there are some more X-Men out there. And he wonders where they are. So that, I mean, again, is there like a postal service down here? <laughs> and do they have like daily transfers with the above world? Is there an agreement between like the uh, above government and the below government for treaties and such? A lot of questions here. I don't think the writers fully thought all this out before they started writing this stuff down. I'm sure this has all been established in Fantastic Four. Oh, okay. There was an issue dedicated to the, the Mole Man uh, trade routes. <laughs> awesome. So uh, I... Beast and Cyclops come across the Cobalt car, and they say, hey, that ship seems hardly damaged. Let's get in and see what we can find out. Makes you wonder why the other three didn't do that, but hey, whatever. Yeah, so uh, Cyclops figures out how to drive it, and that's because he's the leader. He's got a license. The Beast says, the barefoot beast's tender tootsies thank you, Scotty boy. It's at this point, if I'm Scott, I just backhand him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I can't stand being with you, Beast. I don't like you. Shut up. <laughs> Basically. Driving the uh, Earth Borer, they come across the same river that the uh, X-Men came across. The river, Leaf, Leth, whatever you want to call it. And uh, luckily they're inside. Beast suggests they get out and take a look. But Cyclops is like, no, nah, we don't have time for that. You jerk. Stop talking. And so they they manage not to lose their, have their memories wiped. So uh, Cyclops says, later, Hank, we'll, we'll just drive on past it. But let's see if this thing can float. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently he's like, oh, you know, I'm like, my car doesn't float. No other uh, vehicle that drives on roads floats. But let's just make the leap of faith that this thing floats. And it's also revealed in the narration panel here that this thing is sealed. So there's no worry of the fumes getting in for them to lose their memories. Off panel, they drown, and that's the end of Cyclops and Beast. (laughs) And the other X-Men are mindless zombies, so the entire X-Men franchise has come to a halt. Thank you, everybody, for listening to The Danger Room. Uh, Actually, that doesn't happen. What does happen, though, is Tyrannus is by a poolside. I guess maybe it's the same pool, a different pool, who knows. 
No, it's a different pool. It's actually the uh, legendary Fountain of Youth. But it's got that same mist coming off of it. I know. I thought it was the same pool at first, but... Does it explicitly say somewhere that it is not the same pool? Because here's what I theorize. I theorize that uh, on humans, this this water mist would cause you to lose your memories. But an underworldian, such as the Tyrannus, this actually has a different effect, which is apparently the effect of remaining eternally youthful. That would be a good summarization. However, uh, they say a second small body of water. Uh, Sorry. Darn it. <laughs> okay, fine. And apparently the battles between the Mole Man and Tyrannus were uh, chronicled in Astonish 80. So I'm sure there's an Astonish podcast out there. Yes. He says that if he doesn't have a drink of this uh, water once a day, he will die, maybe? I guess the story of the Fountain of Youth is some guy found it and he drank it forever, but then the idea is that if he ever stopped drinking it, he would instantly age to whatever he was supposed to be. Maybe if we tune into Tales to Astonish 80, we would know more about it. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So let's just make that assumption. There's some pretty awesome rivers and ponds and whatnot underground. I want to live underground. There's a lot more cool stuff happening under there than there is up here, man. All we got is pollution. They got waters that'll make you forget your problems and then waters that'll keep you alive forever. I would drink from each one of them every day. (laughs) Why am I here? I don't know. And I'd be all muscly like Tyrannus with with that blonde hair. Yeah. And I'd have these little bald guys to boss around. You'd have an awesome cape. And and apparently a castle. And some of your bald guys would have an awesome cape. (laughs) Just some of them, though. So anyways, uh, Tyrannus adjourns back to his office, maybe. I don't know what it is. But he goes back to, to wherever it is that he goes which appears to be a castle because the diamond android is cutting down castle turrets. Which is quite impressive. Yeah, that's powerful. That's a powerfully sharp sword. Because it doesn't just knock the turret over, it slices right through it. Yeah, I don't know where it's coming from, though. It just kind of falls. Exactly, yeah. The the turret doesn't seem to have any rhyme or reason for being where it is, but he cut it down. I think he brought it with him. He just he just threw it there. I'm strong. Look at turret. <laughs> Meanwhile, inside Tyrannus is like, that's a really nice turret. You know what? We should put some turrets on this castle. Yeah. Apparently, Tyrannus got Ralph out of the dungeon and brought him upstairs so that they could watch the diamond robot on their TV. Yeah. Which Check they- out this diamond robot. And Ralph is like, oh, that's why you needed a uh, super cobalt robot. What else would stand a chance against a robot made of diamond? Ralph also says, where did you get this big TV? (laughs) Is it also made of cobalt? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's just carved really fast. Uh Aha. The silicates uh, in the earth make it so that it provides motion. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So outside, uh, they set the... Apparently, this castle also has a moat because... uh, they send out the cobalt-plated android to fight the diamond-plated android, and they're fighting in the moat, which is kind of cool. And like you said, the uh, the diamond one is, is pretty ninja-like. Yeah, he's got the ninja pose and everything. Yeah. Mole Man, I guess, is controlling him remotely. With his mind. Ooh. Yeah, they both have shields and swords, so they're kind of doing a gladiatorial fight here. But the cobalt man, well, if we can call him that, uh, smashes the diamond man's sword. Cobalt is apparently stronger than diamond. This particular cobalt is. And also makes quick work of the uh, diamond shield. 
Mole Man sends in the three other, the three ice X-Men, Iceman, <laughs> and uh, Iceman, Marvel Girl, and Angel. And uh, Angel decides to do all the quick work, and he does some some quick flying. He grabs some mud and rocks. He swings around the android and uh, throws the mud and rocks in the android's mouth. Well, in, in its face, I guess. And tosses him over an edge. Or I guess the robot walks over the edge because he's blinded. And then he explodes. And the angel says, The robot was blinded, as I hoped, by the magnesium and silicates in the mud. That's a callback oh, to earlier in the issue. Yeah, when I didn't notice that the first time. Neither did I until this second read-through, but... Uh, I gotta, I gotta ask this. Like, it's a callback, and that's maybe some good story writing. But why does that have any effect on him whatsoever? Yeah. The only thing we got from the earlier piece of information was that magnesium and silicates create a pretty glow. It's not a very good callback. <laughs> so, for whatever reason, uh, this robot was taken out pretty easily. So, the second part, though, when, with him exploding, we find out is. Uh, what Ralph was alluding to originally uh, about unless, or I guess I don't remember what he said, but this is. Uh, he said, but what he doesn't know, dot, dot, dot. This is that dot, dot, dot. Is that apparently it is super susceptible to heat. He realizes I sabotaged the robot by mixing substances with low heat resistance into its cobalt armor. So it faces heat and it explodes. And finally, Ralph gets the opportunity to punch out Tyrannus, which he does. With a with a loud walk, yeah, he's cooking. <laughs> he's cooking with. He hits him with a walk, <laughs> and the two bald guys with tunics, the two orange guys with tunics, run out and uh, apprehend Ralph, and uh, says, "You can kill me, but you'll never get my super cobalt formula." Angel, Iceman, and Marvel Girl fly. Well, Angel flies in, and Iceman and Marvel Girl come in with telekinesis. Yeah. Uh, they attack Tyrannus and his his ball tunic wearing men. Tyrannus runs away. Iceman freezes up a couple more of the uh, the bald minions. Yeah, he's loving this. Finally, twice in one adventure. <laughs> well, actually, he doesn't remember because he's got the amnesia stuff. So, uh, Cyclops and Beast um, uh, go to the castle doors, I guess. They show up at Mole Man's castle. Cyclops says, uh, the other X-Men tracks led here. There's nothing keeping us out. Beast says, and he blasts the door. And Beast says, remember, violence is the last refuge of the incompetent. Once again, if I was Cyclops, I'd be like, you know, this is why we don't hang out. <laughs> I, like, I'm pretty lame. I realize it. I mope around and I don't really do a lot of talking and I'm not really all that funny, but you're the worst. <laughs> And then Beast punches out one of the mole uh, warriors. Yeah. And Cyclops says, what happened to your policy of non-aggression, Mr. McCoy? So they're joking. You know, they're having a good time. Cyclops is you trying to make the best of it. my alternate adage, Mr. Summers. What's that? Cyclops is trying to make the best of a bad situation. <laughs> you forget my alternate adage, Mr. Summers. A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. To which Cyclops responds, Whatever. Yes, and he turns around and walks away. <laughs> says, Stop following me, Beast. Stop following me. 
Stop following me. Mole Man says, oh, there's two more X-Men at my door. So now I have all five. But Cyclops says, he says, no, wait, it's two more of them. Keep back. Cyclops comes out of nowhere and says, for what? And let you reach that gun to mow us down? Yeah, he, he does a quick run. He's like, <laughs> chop, karate chop. Instead of just shooting him with his uh, optic beams. But yeah, whatever. Yeah, he does. He, he wants to do a karate chop. I've been, really, he really wants to do it. I've been practicing this for weeks. <laughs> and it is just the mole man. I mean, like, what is he going to do? I'm going to... I don't even... Does he have a power? Or is he just like evil underground dweller? He was reaching for a gun, so his power <laughs> lies in his amazing gunniness. Ah, so is that gun carved out of rock too? Or is there like a NRA down there as well? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure the mole man used to have... A membership in the NRA or something. Well, it's kind of like the space NRA, though, because these are all like laser guns, highly technical laser guns. Maybe he's like a super scientist. That could be. Let us know if you know more about the Molemen than we do. Tell us. Which won't take much. <laughs> so they capture the Mole Man and they take him into the car, and this is where we answer that question earlier of how Marvel Girl knew it was Mole Man. Because the X-Men have read the Fantastic Four's file on the Mole Man. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know. So she just, the first time she didn't re- remember, she was like, oh, who's that? And then she was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Fantastic Four file number 846, Mole Man. Actually, wouldn't it be file one? Yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> uh, so. Probably file five, actually, because the first four are probably the the four. Oh, that could be. You're right. Uh, so my question is, are the Fantastic Four's records public? Uh, or did the X-Men call up the Fantastic Four one day and said, hey, you know, on the off chance that we run into one of your enemies, could we read your files? They're public to other superhero groups. They have like a like a special intranet that <laughs> Reed Richards developed. But I thought like the X-Men, the X-Men are pretty much outlaws. So they're not really like an officially recognized superhero group like the Avengers and the Fantastic Four are. Well, as we know, the Fantastic Four met the X-Men and they know they're they're good at heart. Oh, okay. So they're like, ah, between the panels, Reed Richards was like, oh, an X-Men. By the way, if you ever want access to our files, come to our webpage. Yeah, we'll give you access. Fine, fine, fine. What's a webpage? <laughs> I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's, it's going to be the future, man. It's going to be it's huge. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so anyways, the angel who is still under the control of Mole Man comes to attack Cyclops and Beast after, I guess, they've gotten out of the car and they've gone to Tyrannus's stronghold. Cyclops worries about blasting Angel. Finally. It's kind of a kind of a throwback. Two things here. He he uses some more ninja skills, Cyclops does, by falling down and knocking him over by kicking him. And he also has uh, the Mole Man's laser gun. Yeah. It's almost like the artist didn't know that Cyclops had a blaster. I know. I, well, we, but on the next panel, we find out that the laser blaster is actually the antidote ray. Right. So I, I don't understand. Like, is this the same gun that Cyclops got from Mole Man? No, it's a different gun because uh, he says if uh, the antidote ray was concocted for us by the Mole Man, so he put it together for them. I guess they threatened him oh. to within an inch of his life. That was mighty nice of Mole Man. 
And he scienced up a special gun. So Cyclops is I'm going to Cyclops is like I'm going to use this untested antidote ray on one of my best friends, <laughs> and it kills him. The mole man cackles, <laughs> suckers, and he runs off. I mean, it could be like a thermal nuclear thing. Like he pushes the trigger, and like all of them die. And mole man's like got a protective jacket on. He's like suckers. I've defeated the X Men. Beast carefully watched as the mole man put it together ah. to make sure there wasn't any doomsday device in it. Gotcha. So Tyrannus, uh, after Cyclops apparently frees up all of the X-Men, Tyrannus admits defeat and says, you may depart me unarmed. Cyclops is like, screw that. We, demand, we, we decide the terms here. And Tyrannus says, do your worst, fools. And the X-Men, uh, if you were to read... From start to finish, uh, apparently leave Tyrannus and take the car that could only fit three people but fit six people now somehow up to the surface. Apparently, it's mighty cramped in there now. But uh, See, I was thinking that they took the um, the the Earth borer that got Tyrannus up to the Earth in the first place. No, but it it does say that they they take they they take well uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so, and then we find out what the ultimate fate of Tyrannus and the Mole Man was. They left him at the River Leith. To wonder who they are. Wah, wah, wah. Somehow, somewhere, I recall an antidote to, pla- to this plague of blackened memory, but I cannot remember. Perhaps it was only a dream. So this means that Tyrannus is going to forget to drink from the Fountain of Youth and die, and the Mole Man will never be a bother again. Yeah. And... The X-Men really put out the uh, jury on this one. <laughs> uh, so what would have been a more funny ending to this issue would be if they got into the car and Beast's like, hey, remember that river I wanted to check out? Let's go check that out now that we're out of harm's way. And uh, Cyclops is like, that's a good idea. And Marvel Girl, Iceman, and Angel wouldn't have remembered it because they just came into existence after they passed the river. They're like, yeah, yeah, let's check it out. They all go by the river, they inhale the mists, and they all forget what they're doing, and they're never heard from again. Yeah, that's what happens. (laughs) This is the last issue. Tune in next issue for Giant Size X-Men. <laughs> so actually, uh, on the little tagline at the bottom, it says, Would you believe Spider-Man is an agent of Factor 3? The X-Men do. Nuff said. Whoa. That blew my mind. Finally. Spider-Man cameo. This might be the first such meeting of the X-Men and Spider-Man. Oh, no, wait. He was in another issue, wasn't he? Yeah, they, uh, Beast and Iceman found him and said, Hey, you want to help us? You want to join the X-Men? Or something like that. And Spider-Man's like, Can you imagine me an X-Men? No thanks. And then he thought to himself, I sure would like to join a group of teens, but no, no, I'm a loner. That's right. Uh, Something along those lines. And it makes sense, because remember when Spider-Man tried to join the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man was trying to earn some cash, and Reed Richards was like, nope, this is a volunteer effort. Clearly, we've established that even though the professor is a zillionaire, he doesn't pay his students anything. 75 cents stipend. That's right. So Spider-Man's like, how am I going to get these pills for Aunt May? Nobody will pay me to be a superhero. Golly. Another issue in the books. And as promised, a tribute to you, the listener, the one who makes this show possible. We now present your names. William Henry Baker. Jeff Parton. John Lemondola. Brian Voss. Your dad. Hey, my dad's a fan. 
Arthur W. Painter. Corey Hallett Vineyard. We went to high school with him. Ooh. Jason Norton. Dolly Phoenix. Michael Bucard. Alexander Fleets. Carl Carbone. Gilbert Joyce. John Kindlen. Pete Trippett. Klinger Jason. That's an awesome name. <laughs> Soma Feldmar. Michael Nasatovich's. Jim and Deb Kozina. Oh, a couple. A pair. Nice. That's two. <laughs> uh, Carla Lucia. John Shimiluski. Tim Holt. Victoria Wagner. My wife. Ho ho. <laughs> Jody Jocker. Mike Tuberdyke. Usman Hawk. We went to high school with him too and used to call him Usman. Yeah, we were so wrong. <laughs> he never corrected us. <laughs> it's his fault. All right. Brandy Bissett si- Simons. Do I know that person? You do. She went to high school with us. Oh, okay. Well, she was probably a grade ahead of us. Gotcha. Maybe two. Josephine Lay. Susan Eleanor Grisconis. Mafuz Mizan Marvel. Sweet. Do you know that person? Nope. Awesome. <laughs> Whoever you are, Mr. Mizan Marvel, you're okay in my book. <laughs> Mark Galley. Eric Tuberdyke. He's got a podcast on Red Cat Productions, too. The Haunted Buffalo. Check it out if you get a chance. Do it. Marie Bacot. Jarek Pullett. Garrett Murphy. Sandy. Oh, that, that's my girlfriend. Oh, hey, sweet. Uh, Makeup by Siren. Storm One. Do you think Makeup by Siren is just like some advertisement person who puts their name on everything? Or is that a friend of yours? Actually, Sandy found this person who does X-Men makeup. Get out of here. She's just really into the X-Women, and so she makes herself up in the style of, like, Phoenix and... Where does she live? Oh, I don't know. Oh, she's just some random person Sandy found? Random person on the interweb. Wow. If we ever do the whole Comic-Con thing, we got to hook up with Siren and have her make us up as old, (laughs) aging X-Men with beer bellies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, and then we have The Haunted Buffalo. Wow, that's that's the podcast we just talked about. And Kitty Pride. Nice. And X-Men is actually a fan of our show. That's good. All right. That's everybody. There you are. Folks, there's going to be some gaps between the upcoming issue sodes they're not going to come out every week but there will be the occasional two-week gap and we'll probably be back to normal by the end of the month uh yeah anything else you want to add adam was this a wonderful issue uh no this this i usually like the fill-in issues but this one was just it just seemed all wrong yes i don't know there was no expansion of story the we didn't further the factor three saga at all and that didn't bother me. It just seemed like it was written by a completely different team, and it just seemed completely out of place. And Maybe Roy Thomas was like, hey, Junior, talking to his son, you want to write a comic book? <laughs> Could be. I don't know. Or maybe Stan Lee stepped back in to write this issue. Well, Roy, I got an idea for you. We're going to bring the Mole Man into the X-Men. Everybody likes the Mole Man, don't they? Sure, Stan. He's our number one villain. Join us at uh, www.redcapproductions.com forward slash Danger Room. Hit us up on iTunes by searching for Danger Room. And uh, leave us a little piece of feedback, if you would, or just just click that star button or subscribe to us, whichever, you know. Go to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. And then you could Twitter follow us at go 
danger podcast go. <laughs> At danger room go. At danger room that's what, go. That's what you meant to say. Yes, yes. Don't do that other one because God knows what that is. Uh, anything else? No, that's it for this issue. All right. Um, Glad that we're getting back to the Factor 3 storyline and excited about the Spider-Man cameo. Yeah, so all that and more next episode, everybody. Until next time, the Danger Room is closed. <laughs>